Carolyn, welcome to the Treatment Room Secrets podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Very fun. We've spent a couple of days together now. Um, can you help me pronounce your last name? Greenhalge. Green. Not, yeah, Greenhalge. A lot of people say greenhouse or greenhaller. That, that would have been me. That that thing you just said would have been me. <laughs> um, so Greenhalge. Yes, like the bakers, but you wouldn't know that because you're from Israel. Is that a local bakery? It's or? a huge bakers, but unfortunately, I don't belong to that empire. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here in Mac in Macclesfield. I know technically Stockport, Stocky, mm -hmm. from what we've been told, um, but Macclesfield. I didn't know, did not know this, so I feel kind of ignorant, but uh, very much integrated um, and a main main part of the Silk Road. Yes, the silk trade. The silk trade. Yeah. Um, and everything in Macclesfield you mentioned is silk this, silk that, yeah, silk yeah. road. Silk road, silk FM. Yeah, everything is related to the silk trade along the canals. Yeah. And it's fun. I told you I've been to Macclesfield before. Uh, many years ago, I watched Macclesfield play League One football. Um, Wayne Rooney's brother was on the team. So that's my memory of Macclesfield until being here now, um, here with you. Um, and we, we filmed a course together, um, a complex course, no pun intended, um, <laughs> about the uh, complex shoulder and um, just something very interesting because even you um, just um, explaining certain things, pointing out things, using me as a model um, for the camera, we, you know, you pointed out some deficiencies in my body, things that I maybe assumed that I did not have those imbalances or did not have those, um, would you classify them as pathologies? Don't scare me. No, I, I don't, you know, I don't like labels, mm. but um, I think maybe an imbalance would be more appropriate. Yeah, you could, you could work on something to stop um, deterioration of that instability. Or instability causing you a further problem which would lead to pain because you don't have pain but we notice some excessive movement don't i have pain like when you when i after i said that i started thinking about it oh. now it's maybe now oh. i'm maybe imagining pain but could, do, could i just be used to a small nagging pain on my shoulder well yeah you just said so so yeah possibly and uh, but not it's not been bad enough for you to seek help perhaps Mm. Why don't you like classifying uh, labels? Because um, training as an osteopath, um, we, well, historically, osteopaths weren't part of the medical model, doctors and physios and so on. They had their own uh, theories and their own training. Um, they didn't belong to the medical model. So osteopaths have always treated what they found, which is a set of symptoms um, but never, never thought to to put names to it. They treat what they find. Um, but when osteopaths had to join the medical model in 1993 or 1999, something like that, if we wanted degree status and to be recognized within the medical profession, we had to join the medical model. And that's when we started talking about labeling things. But historically, you could go to an osteopath um, and they would treat you for high blood pressure or um, a disease. And osteopaths, that's what they used to do. But we couldn't join the medical model and say we could do that. Um, so 
people who wanted to get a qualification that was recognized, we had to we had to jump through the hoops and join the medical model and bend which, a little bit and bend a little bit in order to get our um registration and and stature that yeah. way. But is it um in your opinion, does it uh limit the osteopath in any way? Um, Having to like bend a little bit and label certain things, or I'll I'll broaden the question: Does labeling symptoms? Labeling symptoms limits limits yes, because that would suggest once you have a thing, then there must be a step by step dot to dot way of dealing with it or treating it. And as we all know, that no two human beings are the same. So there isn't a, a, a dot to dot how to treat that particular thing with the name. So it's funny. I was listening to a lady who's a physio. She's um, a, um, a specialist physio. And um, she was talking about the shoulder and she was talking about how nowadays physios are coming full circle towards osteopathic thinking and coming away from labeling, whereas We've never wanted to join the medical model because of the labeling. And now it seems to be coming full circle where they're moving away from you have a tendonitis, you have a rather than saying there's some problems with the tissues. Uh, these tissues are more likely to be involved. Um, so therefore, you're not scaring a patient or labeling and making a patient think, oh, what do I need to do for that? Do I need an operation? Do I need an injection for that label? <laughs> label specific yeah. thing. Yeah. Is it a um, labeling something, does it maybe provide some psychological comfort in a way? Because Look, if we look at the body holistically, because that's what you're saying pretty much, right? Mm. To see the whole human body as one organism. And mm. if you have a, a symptom in your knee, it could be affected by something else in your body, which could be affected by something else in yeah. your body. Um, it seems like way more complicated uh, to solve the root problem or to even figure out what the root problem is than to label something. Maybe I'm providing my patient with some psychological comfort because me as the expert, I now know what you have. Mm -hmm. We'll put you on a program to solve this. Um, again, it seems like to me, even if the, the answer is yes to my proposed question, um, it's probably short-term psychological relief. Yeah, I think if if somebody is going to visit somebody, um, a, a professional who's only got five minutes or ten minutes, then a label is you want to come away thinking, what is what what's the answer to my problem? What what's wrong with me? And within four or five minutes, you might be able to say, you yes, you have anterior knee pain, but within five minutes, you haven't got the time to ask the questions about the person's. Um, genetics, their work situation, their hobbies and their what might have brought additional factors giving them the anterior knee pain. And that would, you know, obviously allow you to get to the root of the problem. But I think within the UK and the NHS, the people are stretched and some people's contracts don't even allow you to touch them at the moment. Um, I think there's less time to be able to get to the root of the problem, unless somebody is able to give somebody time in private practice, 
you know, I've got an hour or 45 minutes, I can listen. Whereas if you go and see a GP or if you have a, an NHS physio appointment in some areas, they only have a limited amount of time. But the NHS um, physio way of dealing with things and their training is to label something and then they have a, a regime or a step by step how to deal with it. But as osteopaths, we're looking for the root cause. Also, in my personal experiences with some maybe like health complications, seeing doctors um, from different countries around the world, it is, it's very, it's very quick. It's, hey, you have this, probably because of this, and here's your medication. Come see me in mm-hmm. however many weeks, months um, for a follow-up. I guess no one has the time or they think they don't have the time to really investigate and learn about maybe the root, uh, where this thing is stemming from. But I'm also lo- looking from the uh, the patient side, the client side. Um, you know, I think most of us probably do want a definitive answer, even if it's not 100% accurate. And most of us probably do want a medication because we know that being on a medication for three weeks is a lot easier than being on a six-month rehab program. Yeah, everyone wants a quick fix, right? Everybody wants somebody else to fix their problem. And I think that's where the problem lies. You know, your your knee pain at the age of 52 is because you've, you've lived for 52 years doing what you've done or with your particular genetics or the hobbies that you've that you've had. Um, but if you know, going to a doctor or going to um another professional and saying, here's my knee, can you fix it? It it's not always gonna work that well if you're not gonna take responsibility for your own for your own body, what's brought you there, the factors that might have brought you that knee pain over the 52 years. Um but yeah, it's it's easier to say, I have this problem with my knee. Um you fix it. Um, whereas we like to engage our patients um, and explain, give them a diagnosis to start with and help them understand the diagnosis and what might have brought their pain to them in the first place. And if there's factors playing a part, like the the way they're sitting at work or a repetitive thing that they're doing, maybe there is some treatment and maybe some rehab that could help counteract that so we try and get people engaged functionally to help them you i heard you say that your journey of becoming an osteopath started when you were seven yeah (laughs) can you take me down uh that road yeah what a strange road so yeah we lived um we lived in stockport working class family oh so you actually so you lived in stockport yeah I, i lived in um in breadbury and when I was in Bredbury, I did ballet from a young age and we moved to Marple um, and I was doing ballet three or four times a week. Um, I was pretty good at it. And um, I I was playing one day. I was playing one day with my friends on the scooter and I was trying to keep up with my friends and I took a wrong turn and they were going in a different direction and I didn't want to get left behind so I fell off the pavement fell off my scooter and I broke my leg um so I broke my leg and I had a plaster of Paris cast from my ankle all the way up to the groin which was really weird because 
the break was down here. I don't know why they did a plaster of Paris cast all the way up here, but they didn't give me crutches. All the way up to your hip. Up to yeah. my groin, yeah. yeah. And I, I remember a conversation in the hotel, in the hotel, in the hospital, where they said something about either not being old enough for crutches or they didn't have crutches, but they gave me this boot and it was like an, it was an orthopedic boot and it was, honestly, it was that high. So I had this big plaster of Paris cast on my leg, this orthopedic boot. So I was walking around like that. As a seven-year-old. As a seven-year-old. My mum caught me on the back step trying to put my, you know, when you used to unscrew roller skates, you're too young, yeah. <laughs> unscrew the roller skates and lengthen them, trying to get this ortho, my roller skates on this orthopedic boot at the bottom. So I was still trying to get by. And of course, my ballet teacher insisted that I still went to ballet to watch, even though I couldn't do anything. The plaster of Paris cast came off. The bone had healed absolutely fine, but I went abroad with my family and on a holiday. And um, I started walking on my tiptoes on one side. Uh, so they thought I'd spray my ankle. You know, typical, she's hurt her ankle. So we'll just put a tubey grip on it. And um, that was that. It didn't make any difference. I was still walking around um, on tiptoes on one side. And it was only when we got back to the UK and I started going back to ballet, uh, my ballet teacher said to me, um, there's nothing wrong with your ankle. It's your back. You want to go and see my man, she said. You want to go and see my man, Madge Watson. She, had, she wore bloomers and everything. <laughs> she was so old fashioned. Um, you want to go and see my man, Dr. Johnson. Um, it's got nothing to do with your ankle. You're not walking on your tiptoes because of your ankle. There's something wrong with your back. So I went, we didn't even know what an osteopath was then. It was, you know, it was the first time we'd ever heard the word. Me and my mum drove there and um, this this man had this very strange room with little bottles and jars of lotions and potions in. And he sat me on this gym horse, like an old fashioned gym horse and manipulated my back. And I walked out of there with both feet flat on the floor. So that was my introduction. He was an osteopath and he was a naturopath as well. So he did um, natural medicine and herbs and nutrition and all that kind of stuff very interesting and you did you stick with him i stuck with him until he wasn't around anymore um and then i had to find somebody a little bit closer i had i must have seen about 10 different osteopaths some used to come to the house um and i used to drive various different places to go and see different osteopaths because i kept having to have the manipulation because i was growing and my my back had adapted around this pattern it had been like that for six weeks so I'd got this altered leg length and my my back was all skew with and occasionally it would give me a problem so I'd have to find the osteopath so I was constantly going to the osteopath or not constantly but regularly but, but mainly because you were trying to uh to dance and be yeah. competing or was it competing uh, in ballet or was it performing in ballet well, yeah I wanted to be a prima ballerina and yeah. there was a point in my in my um a childhood where the decision was, do I go to a normal school or do I go to full-time ballet school? So yeah, I always had to be as flexible as possible, but also as strong as possible. So I had regular osteopathic treatment. And is there anything that from his uh, natural therapies that he was doing um, that stuck with you, that you enjoyed, that freaked you out? Anything that you remember? I can't really remember. I just remember this gym horse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't remember anything else. 
Yeah. Um, so, we, yeah, you believe that that stemmed your interest? It must have done. When I was 11 at school, as part of our English exams, we had to do a talk in front of the class. And some of my friends were doing it about makeup, a talk, like a, a two minute talk on makeup or spots or boys or something like that. I did my talk on osteopathy from the <laughs> leaflet that he gave my mom. I mean, <laughs> I must have sounded a bit like one of those crazy children. <laughs> so yeah. So for those that don't know, um, because you know, even me, I would say until a few years ago, um, until I visited my first osteopath, I did not know what an osteopath was. Um, so what is an osteopath? Well, well, we we help people with pain or dysfunction. I was saying earlier that um, we used to treat any any kind of problem with health or dis-ease, the word dis-ease or disease. Um, so we'd look at uh, the body, the anatomy and the physiology. And the theory behind osteopathy is that all fluids have to flow well to your tissues otherwise that would lead to congestion and disease in that area where there was a backup of pressure and congestion is that mainly blood when you say uh, liquids so there's in osteopathy there's a there's a rule of the artery so wherever the blood flows everything the blood must flow easily and well and if it doesn't then whatever tissue that blood supply is going to is going to have a problem it's going to have dis-ease but it does apply to every, to the other internal plumbings of the body as well not just the blood flow so nerve flow as well so nerve and blood flow and then what's yeah. what the certain techniques are there to um, um, re-engage the circulation of blood flow to certain areas yeah so um, osteopaths use manipulation um, of not just of spinal joints but all of the joints um, to help reset the tone of uh, blood vessels because blood vessels contract and relax. And sometimes if they contract, then blood isn't going to flow well, which would lead to a problem with the tissues. So using manipulation of the joint can sometimes um, help um, cause a, a blood vessel to go back to its normal um, state so blood can flow well. Yeah, super interesting things uh, <laughs> to really think about and also when you're again because i know you very briefly uh, gave me some um uh, some demonstrations uh today on certain things um and from the patient side um it it, it it feels intuitive like it feels that those movements should be happening that that pressure should be felt um, and that your body it feels like your body appreciates it appreciate it, it, yeah. it does that's what it that's what it really feels like um, so you're a seven-year-old girl, you're a, you're a dancer, you, you're, you keep going back to osteopaths, you need mm. this, um, care, this manipulation sometimes, uh, whatever's done on you to keep you going and feel good. Um, but at what point do you decide this is a career or something you're going to pursue <laughs> forever? Well, the ballet career was ended because I wasn't naturally turned out enough. They said I had beautiful arms, but something had gone wrong with my legs. Um, so that destroyed me and my confidence. What, how old um, were you then? Um, I think I was 12 or 13. Wow. It was that choice of going you know, full, on, full on down the ballet route or not. Um, so is that I weird? Rebel is that, sorry, is that weird thinking about though? Like as a 12-year-old, do you even have to go through that uh, judgment? I was devastated absolutely devastated and I think it stuck with me as well I mean and 
they say you shouldn't say things in front of <laughs> in front of kids, but I'll never forget her saying to me, there's something wrong with your legs. So I've always been really conscious of my legs. I mean, there's nothing wrong with my legs, but it's it did stick. But I rebelled against that and I did I went into a different kind of dancing. So I did modern jazz dancing um and absolutely loved that. Um, so you rebelled. But, at age 12? Uh, well, I rebelled against that right. Yeah. Right then. I mean, I was built up and built up that, you know, I was going to be an amazing dancer and whatever. And it, by, it, by then? Everyone. So also in your family, like yeah. everyone spoke of you yeah. as a ballet dancer and that's yeah. what you're going to be. That's what I was going to be. There was just no question of it whatsoever. So yeah, I rebelled. I, I did modern jazz. I did panto and yeah, carried on dancing. But So it was always, it was always about movement and, you know, keeping fit and... It, it was just in me. Um, and I, I did my studies and um, left left college, uh, went traveling. When I came back from traveling, I was quite overweight. Um, so when I came back overweight, I decided that I was going to become a fitness instructor to lose the weight, purposely to, to lose the weight. So I trained to be a fitness instructor. But why? Because in your logic, you, you uh, to be a fitness instructor you need to be in shape well it was it was one way of working and <laughs> working and yeah two birds yeah absolutely so I trained to be a fitness instructor and I absolutely loved that um but I was still having osteopathy regularly for my back problems and um it was suggested to me that maybe um maybe I wanted to go into um uh, osteopath no in fact I'm telling a fib there I thought I might fancy going to train to become a physio because I was seeing an osteopath I I loved exercise instruction and I thought the natural progression would be to become a physio because that's what everyone did and here in Stockport and Manchester we've got the marvelous Salford University where they train loads of physios so I I thought I'm going to be a physio and my osteopath at the time said to me, you've never had physio in your life. Why would you want to train as a physio? Why don't you train to become an osteopath? So I was a bit torn because physio was mainstream and everyone did physio. And oste osteopathy was a little bit out there and a little bit rebellious, you know, a little bit fringe. <laughs> so um, I started to become uncertain. So I thought, I'll test the water. I'll do a massage course first, see if I like it. So I was working at a gym and I asked the guy that I was working for yeah. if I could have some time off to train to be to be a massage therapist. I'd need some weekends off working from the gym because I wanted to study massage and he said no. So I left there. I trained as a remedial massage therapist, absolutely loved it, and then thought the natural progression then would be osteopathy so you left um like fitness instructing um just because that guy was not very uh he wasn't helpful. help he wasn't helping me develop my career so yeah. i left but yeah. you, did you enjoy it yeah and what I you worked it. you worked in a gym one-on-one uh, mm -hmm. -on -one with people or was it classes i did both mm. yeah and you enjoyed yeah i loved it um and did you get fitter stronger did you um yeah it was just in me to to move um, and I loved anything to do with the body. And I've always been that kind of person. That I just want to help other people. So, yeah, I loved it. So, osteopathy. Osteopathy. <laughs> yeah. I did um, three years training at Oxford Brooks University. 
um, and I came out with a degree from there. And I worked with another osteopath for quite some time. And then I branched out on my own. I went working, uh, did some charity work in Sarajevo um, with some other osteopaths whilst I was still training. Um, I had a couple of issues myself with my shoulder that um, hindered me a little bit at the beginning. But Was that helpful to you, though, like experiencing different uh, injuries, problems with your back, uh, the leg? It must have been, right? Thinking about it, that's that's it, isn't it? It's what happened to me, I think. Subconsciously, I didn't, you know, it must have been because of what had happened to my back and then what happened with my 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 shoulder as well <laughs> obviously led me towards having the passion for the shoulder joint <laughs> yeah yeah um and sarajevo um sarajevo so, yeah. so what yeah can you tell me about that experience so i was i was training to be an osteopath and my um, mentor um liz ellis the wonderful liz ellis um was going to be doing some charity work with another osteopath who was teaching us and unfortunately this osteopath's um, mom died and dad died very very close together and the charity wouldn't allow him to go because of his emotional state and this trip was happening you know in the next couple of weeks or something like that so my mentor Liz said to me would you like to go in replace of him so I said yeah of course so we went out to Sarajevo just following the war the Bosnia-Serbian war just as things were starting to get back to normal, there were people still stuck in high-rise places. There were still people hiding in basements and whatnot. That's and we was went, this early 90s. Mm -hmm. And we went to support. I thought we were just going to treat anybody and everybody. But what I realized after being there was that we were supporting all the physios and all the manual therapists who had been working and working and working with no break. And we were there to give them a bit of respite. So, yeah, we did two two weeks uh, charity work helping anybody and everybody who needed some help with something was it intense yeah it, yeah it are was. you glad you went yeah of course yeah it was amazing experience so it was it felt wrong to come back and say it was an amazing experience because it's quite harrowing to hear all the all the stories but yeah life-changing yeah was it scary um no no and were you you were you stayed put in Sarajevo? Uh, only for that short period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, good. We were we were guided wherever we went. We were with with guides. Yeah. And what just um, anyone who had any medical background pretty much was full time working to help people manage yeah, their this was with, trauma. Yeah, this was with a, um, a charity called the Healing Hands Charity. I don't even know if they they are still going. But yeah, they just they wanted to help anybody hands on from whatever background. So there were people doing Reiki and other body workers. Um, but Liz and I were the uh, well, I wasn't qualified as an osteopath then, but we were doing osteopathy or remedial massage therapy to help anybody who was queuing up wanting some help. So this was when you're getting trained, like still yeah. still in university. Yeah, or, yeah. Well, so still in university. Mm -hmm. um, and then when. And then when you finished university, you started work. You said you mentioned you worked with a, another osteopath. Yeah, I, I worked with somebody else and then I branched off on my own um, and worked within a multidisciplinary clinic. So I was really, really fortunate during my training. 
we had to have lots and lots of mentored hours. So I worked with different osteopaths who approach things in very different ways. So I do feel um, very honoured to have experienced Liz Ellis and Brian Walker and all these other people who came at osteopathy and, and treating their patients in, in slightly different ways. Um, so when it was my time to go off on my own, I could I could do it in my own way as well. Yeah. And now do you feel like you've cultivated your way? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think I have. Um, I mean, there's there's always I'm always learning. I'm 52. I've been doing osteopathy for 22 years, but I'm always learning. But I seem to be going in a in one or two particular directions and my patients love it. So which are? Well, I, I like to empower my patients once we have the, their problems sort of solved or um, if they're on their way to recovery, I like to engage them into making sure that problems don't happen again. So the exercise and rehabilitation has come back in there. Um, but I have I do have a, a huge passion for, for the shoulder joint, um, maybe because of my experience, maybe because of other osteopaths, uh, other osteopathic training that I've done. Um, but yeah. And cause I'm assuming over the years you've helped a lot of shoulders. Is there anything there that, um, you know, I'm assuming it's a satisfying feeling to be able <laughs> to send someone home, um, happier or in less pain than what they, when they showed up to your clinic. Yeah. I think that's what keeps osteopaths being, doing what you do. It is the satisfaction of being able to help sure and allowing somebody i mean my, my strap plan is to help people uh, be able to move so they can enjoy and live the life they love whether it's you know an old lady who just wants to be able to do her gardening or, or the you know professional athletes that i have as well who want to excel i on the way here i was um you know, maybe uh, blabbing on about um, knees. Uh, can I ask you about knees? Because th now that I remember that, I just remember that on the way here, I was talking to you about knees, but I heard you say a few hours before that, that um, you don't, you don't like knees. I, I don't, I don't enjoy knees. Knees are complicated. They're, they're complicated. I mean, the shoulder, shoulder joint is probably more complicated than a knee. That's what everyone says, right? Yeah, but knees are load bearing. So so they're they're quite tough to rehabilitate unless you've got somebody who's really fully engaged in in my in my opinion yeah i don't know what it is <laughs> so, but so what but like if someone came in with a knee injury like you know the level of engagement it takes so that you know it's going to be a uh, tougher process maybe well i know all the tests to do i know how to examine yeah. a, a knee and i know what problems can go wrong with it but um i don't get the same satisfaction I can't put that. I don't know why, but I don't get the same satisfaction out of rehabilitating knees that, as I do with the shoulder. What is the um, most uh, maybe unconventional uh, thing that you like to implement in your practice? Unconventional? Or maybe that you've developed yourself or that you've learned somewhere and have tried to implement it and not necessarily learned about it in university uh, being trained as an osteopath. So it's, it's, it's quite sad, really, but um, we were talking about um, the healthcare system here in the UK. You know, everyone working in the healthcare system does an amazing job. Individuals are doing amazing jobs. Uh, the system is perhaps not, not 
is is failing people with waiting times. So problems that they have that may be acute to begin with are turning into chronic problems and then people are, are having to adapt around that. So it's quite sad. But um, a lot of departments within the NHS, they don't talk to each other. So you go to this department for your eyes. This is the hip man. This is the heart man. You could have two or three problems going on. They may be related, um, but nobody seems to put the put the puzzle together. And that may be because of the way the system works. People haven't got the time to spend to put those pieces together like the GPs back in the old days used to spend time. They haven't got that time. They have five. You have five minutes and you're allowed to talk about one problem here. Is it actually five minutes? You get five minutes and you have to talk about one problem. So it, you can't bring up on paper no, another, two problems. That's another appointment. That's right, isn't it? I'm not. Am I allowed to say this? Um, anyway, yeah. so um, the the problem occurs because the person isn't just a knee problem or the person isn't just I have a pain in my shoulder. There's other there can be other things going on. And I find it really sad. But this is my superpower, if you like. Um, I feel privileged to have had osteopathic training. I see a lot of people who have been to the, the doctor, then they're waiting for something, then they're sent somewhere. And then they find something out but the other person hasn't read that they've also got something else and they end up coming to see me way down the line, often not a last resort, but it's way down the line. And I feel like I have the detective skills. That's my superpower. And I put all the pieces together. A lot of the time I'm referring back into the NHS saying, listen, this person's in the wrong place. They need this or mm -hmm. they need that. But I do feel very privileged that I'm really good at, going through all the body systems, not just they have a problem with their rib or their knee. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trained to look at all the body systems and perhaps put all those pieces of the jigsaw together and say, actually, this man needs this. There's some criticism um, that osteopathy um, receives. Mm. Do you entertain any of it? No, I think the criticism comes from somebody who's not seen an osteopath. I see GPs, I, uh, you know, and I, you know, I, my friends are orthopedic surgeons and and so on. Um, I think if you haven't if you haven't been through the process um, of how we take a history and how we examine, and you know, the level of detail that we look into before we treat a patient, I think if you haven't been through that process, then I think they think that we just crack the back and that that might be dangerous, but they don't realize that, you know, which we're, we're trained when not to do it as well as how to do it very well. Um, and, you know, osteopathy isn't just about the crack. It's, it's about all those other factors. It's the history taking, it's the listening, it's examining, um, and using other techniques, not just manipulation. We use massage and stretching and mobilizing. And then of course the rehab, um, but I think a lot of a lot of other professionals who have never had osteopathy will think that the, we just crack backs and that that could be dangerous. When you say cracking backs, my uh, my head goes to chiropractors, mm -hmm. um, especially as if you saw my social media feed, 
you would just see uh, cracking backs after cracking backs after cracking necks. And as of recently, also um, animal chiropractors. I don't know if you've seen those, uh, which are mm. very entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so is, is there a similarity, though, between um, chiropractors and osteopaths? And yeah. what if yes, um, what is it? And, and what is the what separates It's one of the most common questions that we get asked once somebody comes to see us and they're comfortable and they're happy with the treatment and stuff is what's the difference? You know, I wasn't sure whether I was in the right place or not. Uh, Should I have gone to a chiropractor? And actually, we're, we're both trying to do the same thing. We're both trying to help people with pain and stiffness or restriction in movement. But the founders of osteopathy and chiropractic, they actually knew each other. And whereas I said before, osteopaths used to still think of um, the problems with the body as um, a problem with things flowing through the body, the internal plumbing, blood flow, lymph flow, nerve flow, and um, looking at the spine um, to to change that. Chiropractors believed or their theory was that all disease or all problems came from dislocation of the spine. So it's slightly different. This was just spine and it was like a dislocation or a subluxation of the spine. And they used to diagnose problems using x-rays, chiropractors, until here in the UK there was a radiation um, risk with that. So now they use heat scans. Osteopaths, we examine people during movement. So we'll ask you to bend forwards, bend backwards, move your arms and things like that. Chiropractors used to x-ray and now they use heat scans to look for areas of tension or inflammation. And the treatment, it depends where you go. I think a lot of people will think that chiropractors just do cracking, and a lot of chiropractors do just do the cracking and the manipulation. And other people will think, oh, osteopathy is a little bit softer or they do a bit of massage and stretching first which I would say is most osteopaths but there are other chiropractors that will do soft tissue work and stretching so it does depend on who you see but the outcome we we all want the same outcome less pain more movement happy patients <laughs> but in the US at least from my uh, my reading mm-hmm. um is that chiropractors also don't give much time um it's very quick you know, 10, 15 minute appointments. Um, so maybe w- w- did, did chiropractic medicine also start as in, uh, looking at, um, looking at, um, the body as an holistic organism, um, and trying to find the root cause of things. Yeah. The, the reason for uh, manipulation of the spine is that they, they, um, want to change the nerve flow to a tissue. So the nerve from the spine is going to affect the blood flow, which is going to affect that tissue that it serves. So it's very, very similar. And in osteopathy, then you're saying something similar, but not necessarily stemming from the spine. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you been to a chiropractor before? Oh, you were talking about um, America giving five minutes, five minutes. So just no time, Mm. no time for them to um, ask the questions to really find out the history mm. and to understand the person, the the human body they're dealing with. Um, and again, I'm sure it's not all chiropractors, um, but it, and I'm sure there's amazing ones. But that's what 
a lot of feedback that I hear. You, know, you, you want to make an appointment for a chiropractor? Great, you have 15 minutes. Um, and f- forget about the money that goes behind it. And and of course, like, you know, pain, you want to solve pain. Um, but maybe there's um, better ways to solve pain. Like you were just saying that, you know, a, you see someone in the NHS because all the everything is so separated and people are looked at not as a human but you're coming to me for your hip and then you go to him for your knee i don't really care about your knee you go to him for your neck so it's so separated that you miss things as a result you have to miss health yeah you miss important pieces and you again i guess you can classify this as uh, uh negligence um but you know even even me recently i um I spoke to a, a family friend who for months and months was doing rehab to his back with a physio because he had back pain. Um, and only after months and months, he went for an MRI and they found a tumor uh, trying to expand into his spine. And that's what was causing this terrible back pain. But he's there doing uh, you know exercises and stretches for his back to try and recover from this tumor. Um, he's okay now. Um, That's good. Uh, yeah. So all good. But yeah, but so it's just, it's to me, to me, it seems intuitive to look at the human body as one, one organism. And if something goes wrong or it doesn't have to be something goes wrong, but if you're causing harm to one part of your own body, because I also do believe that, that a lot of people cause harm to themselves. Um, it doesn't, not always, it just occurs out of, out of nowhere. Um, you know, we make choices and it can affect a certain part of your body. You know, let's say smokers, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they have some horrible condition that's not lung cancer, that's not coughing, that's caused by the smoking. Absolutely. But, but they, the shoulder, the tendons, they, yeah, they the, generate they, much faster. There you go. So, but the, but a smoker wouldn't put two and two. No. no. Um, so it's, um, it's very difficult. And so, and, and I'm assuming... From your perspective too, um, and you think that, and you think that that has developed in you over time even more, uh, because you're speaking to me about still, still now you're focusing on movement, nutrition. You said is an interest to you. Mm. I think um, the osteopathic training about looking at people as a as a whole is is there. That, that's never going to go away. And I pride myself. I mean, you were talking about chiropractors giving people fifteen minutes and. You know, you may be talking about chiropractors in the in the states. I think I think some osteopaths and some chiropractors here in the UK may do the short treatments as well, and it may be things may be getting missed. But I pride myself on giving people time because I'm I'm nervous that I miss something. So I may not see as many people in one day as somebody else down the road, but I pride myself on allowing that person time. Like we said earlier when we were filming, um, it's not about asking the questions, it's about listening. Um, yeah, I probably digressed a little bit there. <laughs> That's good. Um, no, but the nutrition part. So, oh, yeah. so I mean, like, is it, um, have you always been interested in nutrition and the effects of nutrition? Again, looking at the human body, we're stuffing things down our, mm. down our mouth, throats, um, and a lot of people, again, we want to believe that it doesn't affect our body as mm. much as it probably does. Absolutely. Um, wh- when I went into osteopathy, I was already, I was socializing with osteopaths, even when I was a massage therapist. And I was going on nutritional courses 
um, internationally with other osteopaths before I was an osteopath. And I was only, I was only young. I was like 26, something like that. Um, and yeah, I've, I've always attended lectures and seminars and webinars about nutrition because I think, um, food is medicine. That's how I, I see it. You know, maybe back in the day that have probably killed me for being a witch, but I think, you know, food is medicine and plant is medicine, you know, we have everything we need on. We have everything we need in, on this planet. But I think, you know, the modern lifestyle is probably playing a, a bad part. <laughs> I, I like looking at food as medicine, um, but I, I can also see that as potentially being um, dangerous in a way, just mm -hmm. because I think it's way more than that, because it's not just a can be a, like looking at it as medicine, as positive, but it's can cause harm food, right? Yes. Um, it can really do damage to you based on your choices, um, which again, people, because I, I think people that um, maybe only stuff bad things down their mouths, uh, maybe would also agree that food is medicine, uh, but won't okay. necessarily agree that it can cause them damage, literal literal damage by eating mm. the wrong things. Yeah, we know. It comes down to education. I mean, for years, everyone has known that sugar is not great. But, you know, the the world we live in still puts it at the checkout. It all everyone. started here in England, no? Uh, sugar. <laughs> sugar. No. America, it's got to be. It, yeah. Was it? I don't know. I don't know. Someone has to fact check us. <laughs> yeah, I, I, definitely. I have a feeling someone told me a story or I read a story about... Um, just the sheer number of, of uh, the sheer amount of sugar that was being transported to the UK, um, you know, in the time of the great empire. Okay. Um, and people here were lavishing on yeah. sugar. Yeah. And we know how addictive it is, right? Yeah. Uh, for the brain and the body and the hormones and everything. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I, I think in this, in the UK, everyone knows it, but it's like smoking, you know, when you're smoking, you're not dying of lung cancer when you're shoveling sugar and maybe, you know, fat. It's delicious. It's, it's great. And it's not killing you right there and then on the spot, is it? So it's, it's that other killer, isn't it? Sugar. Yeah. Like a slow, yeah. a, a slow, a slow killer. <laughs> but also, also that, uh, but what it does do. Okay. So I think we also kind of spoke about this before. Um, it, it might not kill you at that moment, but it's completely taken over your mind. Oh, you know, if you see a piece of cake, like you're not thinking about anything else besides that piece of cake. <laughs> if it's there. <laughs> if it's there, if it's, if it's there, exactly. Um, very difficult. But I know you're not a nutritionist, um, but do, do you mention, do you speak with your clients about nutrition? Yeah, I feel very, very privileged, like I said earlier. And I, am I allowed to name companies or not Not name companies? I don't have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, years ago when I was training, um, I've... I, um, got involved with a company called Nutri. They were called Nutri West. They're now Nutri Advanced. They're still going. Um, a family-run nutritional business. But I used to go to all their seminars. Um, and yes, um, as an osteopath, although I'm not trained as a nutritionist, I have the knowledge because I attend all these uh, wonderful uh, webinars and seminars. Um, but they're great because they have a nutritional team on the phone. So I, I've always been very fortunate to be able to ring up and say, hey, I have this 55-year-old lady. She's 
reached menopause, she's struggling with her joints and she's looking at supplementation. She's suffering with this, this, this. She takes this medication. How can I help support her joints? And they will come back to me and I'm, you know, I'm insured, I'm safe. And it's the same with the Modair company. Um, we've got clinical nutritionists and scientific backing. Um, and I feel privileged that, you know, we've got people to ask. Um, so I'm not qualified as a nutritionist. But I think it, it's important for people to know that, yes, I can help them. I can help you with your shoulder. I can help you with your knees. But when you leave here, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep repeating that behavior? Are you going to keep sitting like that? Are you going to keep standing like that? Are you going to keep shoveling stuff in, into you that's going to create inflammation in your joints? Are you going to keep shoveling things in you that's going to increase your weight? Or, you know, may, have you looked at perhaps your joint pain maybe because you're reaching menopause, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I feel privileged that I can support them with um, their healthy living. Do you um, also engage with maybe other elements besides nutrition with your clients or and or um, referring to other professions or, um, getting advice maybe from other professions to help you with a specific treatment or a specific patient? Yeah, all the time. I think, um, I think that's key. And we spoke about that on the, on the course to work in isolation as an osteopath or a manual therapist or, or whatever, to work in isolation. If you're not asking questions, if you're not, um, discussing cases, if you're not attending seminars or webinars or collaborating I think that could be quite dangerous because obviously things change with time but also you know people want to help and two heads are, are better than one sometimes but yeah I'm frequently um I'm collaborating with personal trainers um I'm always referring people back to their GP with letters about maybe some investigations that we want um I've got orthopedic surgeons who I can talk to and say, hey, listen, I know you're the shoulder guy, but, you know, who's your who's the who's the hip guy? Or um, I've got this person. I'm not sure. I've been trying this for three or four weeks. It's, we're not getting any progress. Is it time to refer to you? So do you have that community of yeah. professionals around you that you oh, kind of engage right, with yeah, that built over time? Yeah, acupuncturists, body workers, um, people who are doing... And is that um, something that you consciously did or it just kind of developed over no, time? No, I think it just develops over time. But um, is, is it something that you would advise maybe young professionals, whatever they are trained at, to work on developing? Um, definitely collaborating and saying, hey, I'm working with I'm working with somebody who's got this shoulder uh, shoulder problem, but they've got some pins and needles in their arm. There's nothing wrong with the neck, but I know that acupuncture has been able to help such as such a body with pins and needles i'm going to send them to you but I'm, I'm you know i'm working manually on their body and doing some rehab with the shoulder maybe you could help them with the pins and needles that kind of thing or maybe for pain um but yeah i think it's really really good to ask um for help but not help that i can't do anything just to collaborate and say i'm working with this person what do you do do you have clients that come in, patients who do want a quick 10-minute <laughs> manipulation and get me out of it, who do not want to tell you about their history, who do not yeah. want to tell you anything? Yeah. Um, they who don't, do not want you to tell you to tell them to stop smoking or stop eating sugar? Yep, absolutely. Um, 
as you can tell, I can talk. <laughs> I can talk and I can talk and talk and talk. And I like explaining. I like being transparent. I like people understanding. I think it's important that they understand what their problem is. Some people, no, they don't want to know because they're clock watching. They've got to go back to work. They don't want to know what the problem is. I'm here. You fix it. There's your money. Um, and off, off they go. They don't want to take responsibility. I apparently am the fixer. It never works. It doesn't work. And usually those people will go to the people who give them 15 minutes. But that's not how, that's not how I work. And I'm not saying my way is better. It's just I would I just want to make sure that I've listened to everything. I haven't missed anything. So I like to give people time. And I do think in 15 minutes, how could you possibly listen to, you know, is there anything wrong with your heart? Is there anything wrong with your digestive system? And, you know, what about those previous injuries that you had in 1999 or whatever? How has your clientele changed over the last two decades in terms of maybe demographic or types of injuries, pathologies that you are faced with? Um, I think the, I think the demographic is pretty much the same, maybe slightly more um, active sporting younger people coming through because I think with COVID as well, I was um, putting myself out there as, you know, here I can help you exercise whilst we couldn't treat people initially. We were talking about exercise and rehab. So I do get a lot more people coming in who are gym bunnies and sports professionals and things like that. But I still see, you know, the elderly, I still see teenagers and younger children as well so it's a real wide variety um but I think you know when you find a good car mechanic you stick with them because you trust them I, I have a lot of patients who have been to see me for many years not like they're still coming with the same problem because that would be wrong <laughs> but they they know how I work they trust me um and if they have a problem with maybe another area of the body they 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 come back and word of mouth. So the whole thing works on word of mouth. And in terms of injuries, pathologies that you face? Um, wow, more and more now. It's the uh, it's the tech tech neck or text neck. Mm. It's the desk worker. We're all working from home in the rat race. So the head's gone forward. Uh, we were laughing yesterday. The shoulders too, right? The shoulders are forwards and the young kids, it looks like they've got no heads because <laughs> their head is that far down looking into their phone. It looks like they've got no head. So there's loads of... There's lo you made him fix his neck, see? I know, he lifted up <laughs> then, didn't he? He just, he just went that bit straighter. Um, man is changing, you know? The skeletal shape is changing. So, yeah, you see a lot of people coming see, in now and injuries yeah, because of that. Which leads to the shoulder. This is why we've got more shoulder things going on, because that kyphosis at the top and the lordosis with the neck. So so when you're scrolling on social media, how do you um, how do you prevent yourself from ruining your shoulders and neck well, posture? I, I'm the same as anyone and my head is down and then I realise that my neck is hurting a little bit or I might be going a bit tight or I might even get some burning in the back of my shoulders as well. So I just lift it up. <laughs> I lift it up. <laughs> I don't put my phone down. <laughs> I still I lift it up. Um, and your arm starts uh, burning. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm as guilty as the next person for the phone and the and the desk. Yeah. And the desk stuff. But I'm very fortunate. I have a rising desk mm. and I also have my treatment table. So I raise everything up. 
Um, so it's a little bit better for my posture. Because it's important also for you as a um, as an osteopath, right? As um, as someone who engages in manual therapy to also preserve your own body. Because if you if you have problems, you won't be able to maybe treat oh, yeah. your clients. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. Um, people don't think about that, but that's really good of you to think like that. Yeah, I think that's another reason that keeps me fit is because if I'm not fit, if I'm not I'm not able to work. If I if I'm not fit, if I'm not if I'm injured, I can't work. I'm self-employed. So yeah, I have to protect myself. Fortunate that I've got the rising table and um yeah, looking after the position that you're in is how we're taught right from scratch anyway. But um if I didn't do any exercise or any activity, I'd become weak and then yeah, I'd be having a problem myself. How do you stay fit? I do Pilates, I walk, I do short little hit classes, um, I paddle board when it's nice, I, I don't know, I like to just move, so yeah, I, I dance. <laughs> still, you still dance? Yeah, I've just gone back to salsa. Wow. Yeah. Back to salsa. Yeah, because I've not done that for a, a long time. Yeah. Wow, that sounds fun. Um, I hope one day I'll have the confidence to go to a uh, salsa class. <laughs> class or club? It's a class. I'm only at the beginning. Yeah, I've not plucked up the courage to go to a club yet. <laughs> That's awesome though. And, but Pilates, Pilates mm. you take pretty seriously. Like, um, yeah, I've done two and a half years of training Pilates. I just didn't take my exam, which is very silly of me. Um, but that's something that I'm going to complete. Um, I, I think um, Joseph Pilates, the way... Um, it fits very well with osteopathy about making things move and things flowing um, and strengthening as well as um, uh, lengthening, yeah, lengthening, but also strengthening. So, yeah, stretching and stabilizing. Because what you just said with the neck, the phones, the tech people, the rat race, the computers working mm -hmm. from home, all those things, it's... I guess it should be more prominent now uh, because ne like as a young kid, I was not on my phone all the time. Now I am, but now young kids are on their phone. They're growing up with bent necks nonstop or rounded shoulders. Honestly. So we're like, we're, we're forcing ourselves to collapse. You know, you sit, you sit on mm. a chair or a couch, mm. you're always collapsing on your phone. You're collapsing. Even when you wait in line or a queue, um, we're, we're collapsing on our phones. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing young, younger, like four, 13 and 14 year olds with postures that it's sad. It's, it's sad. Um, you know, some people, when they're gaming, they sit leaning right far forwards Yeah. and then they think that they can go and play rugby and they wonder why their mom has to bring them to have their back manipulated because they don't realize the positions that they're getting themselves into. Um, yeah, but the younger younger kids sitting at school, but then sitting when they're not at school mm. and the head down, you know, it's like they've got a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old um, shape of their spine. Yeah, it's kind of scary. It's What would you advise like teenagers, kids um, who are developing already like rounded shoulders or a bent neck? Because <laughs> what I would think is, and what, again, what like I try and do is you want to, because 
very difficult to now stop being on my phone. Um, so also, yeah, so I can, like you caught me yesterday with my neck looking straight down, my neck almost parallel to the ground. But you try and do things to negate that movement. Yeah. Um, but 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 how do you how do you get into a teenager's brain and get them to understand? Because <clears throat> I don't think I would have listened to anyone if I was a teenager and they told me to get off my phone. No, I'd be like, I'm on YouTube. Leave me yeah, alone. Leave me alone. Get away. Yeah, I did actually say to somebody this week, um, "This is the deal. You know, you're not going to have to co keep coming back here if." When your mum mm. says you need to move, that's the deal, okay? You know, if you want to come back and have some treatment, the deal is that you let your mum, without any back chat, say to you, listen, it's time to move. Even if you get up and move around, just don't stay in that position for too long. Um, bribery. <laughs> Bribery works for teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I think bribery sounds a lot more logical than uh, <laughs> listening to your mum as a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a it is a difficult one, but for the, especially for those teenagers that haven't got a sport or an activity that they enjoy, scaring them, scaring them with images, scaring them with what could go wrong. A little bit of exaggeration of what could go wrong later on, but you've got to be really careful with that. So maybe um, the the profession of a osteopath or a chiropractor or any manual therapist out there will only be more desired in the future because we are raising gener generations. Mm. I'll classify minor generation in there as well. You know, being on a computer all day, it's so hard. Even when you're focused on um, sitting upright, you know, using your sit bones and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, after 40 minutes, and I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating now, I wish it was 40 minutes, but after however many minutes you're able to last, you just, you collapse. Mm, yeah. And you try again, you collapse. It's mm. so difficult. So, you know, I think we have generations of shoulder and back pains. Yeah, um, more so, absolutely. Ahead of us. And it's, it, and sorry, it's a weird one, right? Because a couple generations ago, there were probably, um, I don't know if more, but a lot, maybe just as much injuries because of manual labor that yes. people were doing and now we shifted into the opposite of manual labor where the computer does all the work for us but we like destroy our bodies yeah. because it's difficult yeah to... I, was, I was gonna say back way 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 back people would be walking across the fields to go and get their groceries or whatever and they'd be really really active and then it was too much hard labor, like you say, and and the stress and the strain on the body was one thing. And now we've got the inactivity. But it depends which way. I mean, some people say, oh, well, all this exercise is like a new religion. It is for some people. Exercise and food and nutrition, it's all over social media. And people say, oh, it's like a new, it's a new cult. It's a new religion. It's a good one. <laughs> um, but there are many, many people who you know, still shoveling the wrong things down there, yeah. their necks and not being active. How could the body possibly support you and keep you going if you don't look after it and fuel it well? So pain's not going away? Pain's not going away, no. Oh. It, it shouldn't go away because it's a warning, isn't it? Pain is a warning. Keeps us on track. Yeah, yeah. Stiffness, stiffness is the first one, but some people don't notice the stiffness. And I say to my patients all the time, if you can get used to noticing first that 
it's not hurting, but I just can't quite turn my head like I used to. If you notice that first, that's when you come in. You don't wait for pain. So I'll take it even a step further. Um, and also based on your advice, people have to move. Because if you don't move, you will never notice those stiff days, off days, when things aren't working the way they're supposed to, because if you're just sitting on a couch all the time. Yeah. If you if you never move or you're always inactive, then you're never going to challenge the body to do something else. So you might not notice the the pain of when you do move. <laughs> but say for an example, like somebody who says, I've decided I'm going to the gym, never been before. When they go to the gym, they injure themselves because they've never done it. And they say, what's all that gym bit about? I'm not doing that again. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> I'm injured. Yeah, but that's just because you've not conditioned your body <laughs> to, you know, train for it, prepare for it, warm it up, get used to moving it. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a fine line. But if somebody was just a couch potato and those fluids weren't flowing around the body, well, everything is stagnant and congested it's just going to lead to a backup and those tissues and those organs are going to have dis-ease in my opinion what do you wish you have known maybe 20 years ago um, that you've learned over time that helped you or helps you now you know if a if an osteopath who's just finishing university came to you now uh, for some advice um, about osteopathy or yeah, about... About osteopathy, about working with patients, just in general, things that, um, anything that really put an imprint on your on your professional development um, that took you time to discover, time to learn. Um, <clears throat> collaborating with other professionals, asking for asking for help or asking for other people's opinions. I think I was, I was very fortunate, but I think there's a lot of osteopaths who come out of university or a lot of manual therapy workers who come out from their qualification and they work in isolation and they have the knowledge that they have. Sometimes they have the knowledge, but don't know how to apply it or, um, they, they haven't got anybody to bounce ideas off or, question maybe if something if something is not going in the in the right way um so collaborating reaching out to other people and not being fearful hands up here i used to keep myself hidden away quite a bit um not being fearful of collaborating and asking questions and mixing and learning all the time i think you've got to it's consistency with learning it's just because you don't know something or you've forgotten something, it's not, um, you, you can't know everything all of the time. When you're, in, when you're in clinic, you may see a lot of this and you do a lot of that and then you forget some of the other stuff. That's, it's okay. You, it's okay to then go back to your studies about that other area or go and ask another colleague or another manual worker or another professional for some information about that other thing that you haven't maybe paid uh, attention to for a little while but reaching out reaching out com community and also consistent consistency learning forever learning because we'll never know we'll never be able to no. uh, 
know everything about the human body. No. What do you think of ballet now? Oh, I think ballet is is beautiful, but I think <laughs> I think uh, it's probably um, it's probably had an influence on the perfectionism side <laughs> of me, which I didn't think I don't think it was a good thing. Um, it's harsh, harsh discipline, like gymnastics. It's a harsh discipline. It's beautiful to watch, but um, yeah, it's very very blinkered and. Um, yeah, it, it, ballet builds people up to to an image of perfection. Nothing is perfect. Nobody is perfect. And what happens when that goes away can be quite <laughs> can be quite sad. Yeah, yeah. Carolyn Greenhalge. <laughs> Greenhalge. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Um, can't oh. wait till the next time. <laughs> and the course uh, will be available uh, in the next couple months on the website. Uh, very exciting. So keep an eye out on. For our social media, um, where can people find you and your content? Um, on my website, which is carolyngreenhouse.co.uk or on Instagram, I am Carolyn G. Osteopathy or on okay. Facebook. Yeah. Do you want to spell uh, Greenhouse for us <laughs> and then we'll wrap it, wrap it up? <laughs> it's G-R-E-E-N-H-A-L-G-H. So it's Carolyn hyphen G. Osteopathy. Um but thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. It's been great. The last few days has been amazing. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.